0: When there is a funeral, that is not my place, because I've never seen any organized funeral. I've never seen where my father was buried. I always am full of questions as to whether when he was falling down and whether when he was alone in the wild, he was calling my name or not, when nobody was there with him. I'm sure he may be he may. May have been having something in mind to share with me to say goodbye. I'm God.
1: Hello and welcome to the All Things Reconciled Podcast, a podcast of the Peace and Reconciliation Network. And we want to inspire and equip you to embody and embrace the ministry of reconciliation in your own context. I'm Phil Wagler, and with me today is Jeanette Boom.
2: Hello everyone, and we just want to share quickly about the All Things Reconciled podcast, which is a commission of the World Evangelical Alliance, which is a global family of 650 million evangelical Christians that are called to inspire and equip the church and people of peace to enable communities to live life in all its fullness. This is an everyday task, and you have, as a Christian, in your own soul, your household, your church, your city, your nation, and the world, the ability to be an everyday reconciler. So we hope you, as an ambassador of Christ, are equipped so that peacemaking and reconciliation is the normal life of you and the fellowship of Christians you are a part of.
1: Thanks, Jeanette. And in in this series, we've been visiting the continent of Africa with some stories and getting to know amazing people uh, that God has placed in that part of the world. And it's our pleasure today to have Bishop Archangelo Wani-Lemi, the presiding bishop of the African Inland Church in South Sudan with us. Welcome, Archangelo.
0: Uh, Thank you, Phil and Junets.
1: Archangelo, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And I was wondering if you could begin just by sharing a little bit about the reality of life in South Sudan these days. You know, there's a history of conflict, and South Sudan is a very young country in, the, in uh, among the nations of the world. And tell us a little bit about what is happening in South Sudan these days.
0: I think I like the way you've um, said uh, the realities of South Sudan. South Sudan is the newest country, and one that has... Um, had um, many years of civil wars that attained its independence just 2011 after many years of war where so many people died, many people got displaced, properties destroyed, uh, infrastructures and all this. And we just want to say thank God because in 2005 there was a peace agreement that was reached between the Republic of Sudan, and the People's Liberation Army, SPLM, SPLA, in 2005. That gave then uh, South Sudan the the right to self-determination, which culminated uh, into the attainment of independence in 2011, uh, in July. In fact, uh, uh, on the 9th, uh, just this month, we will be celebrating our independence anniversary. The question will then be, what are you really celebrating? Because immediately after our independence, we plunged back to war. Again, barely three years after independence, comrades who were together, the once upon a time liberators, people who fought alongside each other, took up arms against one another and pulling us back to war. Uh, which resulted into forcing people again into refugee, into seeking refuge in the neighboring countries, including Uganda, Congo, and the Republic of, of Sudan, destroying also infrastructure, uh, which actually were not there in the very first place. And so uh, it is now that we are recovering a little bit because then in 2018, there was an agreement that was reached by the warring parties, leading into the formation of the government of national unity, which has uh, been moving so slowly and we still have so many concerns as to as to whether really the matrix, the implementation matrix will be followed suit. So that's basically about South Sudan, but we are an independent country An independent country that is still really rising up from the ruins of war, which is physically and psychologically, people are traumatized. And people are still trying to figure out how they can be able to put the pieces together and live their lives.
1: Wow. Well, it's... uh... Really sad to hear the birthing pains of your country. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit also about the church. You lead a large fellowship of churches, and the churches are very involved in all of this as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: You know, Phil, I think I've just been doing presentation here to a group of church leaders. We did a chronology of historical events in this country. And how much the church has been so involved right from uh, the beginning of our conflict in in Sudan and South Sudan now. And the church has been so much in the front line, given the trust that people have on, on the church. And also the fact that the church has taken upon itself as the only instrument that has been entrusted with the Ministry of Reconciliation and has been given the message of reconciliation and where nobody, uh, where there is trust deficit in all other institutions in the country, then the church is the place where everybody would want to to seek refuge and uh, everybody would want to hear the church talk. And over the years, the church has actually been the voice of the voiceless in all matters, aspect of life, whether it is in the conflict, whether it is in situations like now we have where there's lots of human rights violations, gender-based violence, displacement, massive displacements, and there is a tremendous hunger now, so many hardships, so everybody is asking. Today here we're just sharing, asking as to where is the church. Whenever there is a problem, it is the question that comes so easily from the mouth of the people. So I would say yes, the church has been really standing not only in prayers, but the standing in ensuring that uh, we put together our people in reconciliation, reconciling them, and also in trying to provide mediation or stand doing mediation processes where possible. So that the church has been so active. We have reached as a church to a place where sometimes we ask whether we are doing the right thing, whether the voices of the church have not been heard, what else can we do? We actually have come to a place where we even are questioning ourselves and becoming so much wounded ourselves, so as wounded healers, we at times coil back and say, "You know, if we are giving it all, who gives to us because we also are really getting so tired and fatigued because In my 11 years as presiding bishop, I've never seen anything apart from just running around, trying to put people together, trying to do reconciliation and counseling people and all manner of things, including now. I'm just uh, doing the same thing right now.
2: Yeah, she said a very powerful line. The line was wounded healers and the truth and the fact of the long, long history of armed conflict, and then everyone's personal experience of how that conflict has impacted their lives. You yourself shared in one of your interviews that your own father was killed during one of these conflicts. How did that impact you, and how did God minister the truth of reconciliation in your life?
0: Well, it wasn't easy for me especially when it comes to the whole question of forgiveness because it is so painful and uh, it's so difficult to resonate uh, with that pain but i guess my christianness and christ being my lord and savior i was able to forgive because i have no any other option but to forgive because forgiveness as i said is actually, is not optional. It's a must for me as a Christian. So one has to accept the pain and then lay it upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is what we try to teach, that if it has happened to me, this Jesus is real. Where, humanly speaking, you cannot be able to do it yourself, take it to the Lord. Take it upon the cross of Calvary.
2: And that's a real painful process that has a lot of harsh realities within it, and yet God is with us. Those harsh realities are the fact that you actually went back to the area where your father was killed. How was that experience for you?
0: I think ever since I say I forgive the person, whoever has actually killed my father, I I felt a lot of relief in my heart. I have to be very truthful with you that it wasn't easy, even in my own ministry, because it has impacted me. The one thing that, uh, until just recently, the one thing that I really do not want to come so close to is when somebody is being buried. When there is a funeral, that is not my place, because I've never seen any organized funeral. I've never seen where my father was buried. I always am full of questions as to whether when he was falling down and whether when he was alone in the wild, he was calling my name or not. Because I am sure he must have mentioned my name several times when nobody was there with him. I'm sure he may have uttered so many things, including, oh no, if you were to be here, you would have been of help. I'm sure he may, be ha- he, may, he may have been having something in mind to share with me, to say goodbye, I am gone. These are the questions that I carry with me. And if there is one thing to escape, mm-hmm. is to escape funeral, to escape funeral, to see somebody going down, being buried, or people in a funeral place. Even as a bishop, it has impacted me so much. And even as I talk to you now, I even feel very emotional.
2: I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's, it's heartbreaking to hear of a nation of people who have suffered so many
0: injustices. Yeah. So that is, that is, that is my story. And I thank God for Jesus that yes. i can be able to return back that i can be able to meet with my friends and that i can be able to understand that it's not the entire tribe but it must have been this one person i don't know what was the problem i'm not privy to anything i do not i can't claim to have known anything but all that i do is one person for whatever reason took the life of this precious this precious life of my father,
1: Archangel. I imagine it. You know, as you as you described. You know, now you're you're in ministry. You're you're dealing with the losses uh, all the time and helping others through it, leading people through it. And I wonder uh, how how did this burden and drive in you to help your people be peace builders and reconcilers? rather than engaging the hate and anger. How did that emerge? And tell us a little bit of how you're seeing that ministry of reconciliation bear fruit in South Sudan.
0: Yeah, I think it has given me strength, and it has helped me to be able to help others, even as I share. It is painful, but I've, I've gone past that now. And I'm able to share that without fear, without reservation. I'm able to share this with whoever that I meet. Even in the middle of the processes that sometimes I facilitate, I share that because it has become the source of my strength. That, yes, it is difficult. Yes, it is hard. But the moment you lay it upon the cross of Jesus, the moment you pronounce that forgiveness, you even feel forgiven. forgiven. Because if you have not forgiven, then it means you're holding that person in your heart. And with that, you even are not safe. So I have gone everywhere sharing these stories in, in session. When, when I know it is difficult, but I told them that as a Christian, we have no option.
2: I love one of the lines that you said, we have been going through things, but we should not let these things keep us apart. And it's so powerful because it doesn't deny your experiences, but it does deny the power it has over your future actions and the way that you can live together. And how has Christ taught you this?
0: Precisely, you are right. That if you do not want to be haunted by the events, significant, painful in your life, if you are able to let go the pain, if you are able to pray and Christ is able to forgive you because he said he will forgive us. Because I don't want to lie. I may have said so many things that I may not be able to share here. I I hated the people themselves. I dissociate myself with friends that we were together who did not have anything whatsoever to do with the event of the killing of my father. And so it was me who was carrying the burden. And so I advise everyone who may be going through this that the only way to go free and to be able to move on is to really forgive and let your life, pick your life, the pieces again and put together and move on. We cannot sit down, continue to mourn forever, to cry forever. Because even as we cry, crying for me is an activity. Whose shoulder shall I continue forever to lean on and cry? What will that help me as I, as I sit there and stand there? Whatever time it takes, please pick the pieces and keep moving. It has worked for me. I do not know whether it will work for somebody else, but certainly it has worked for me. It has not only strengthened me, but it has helped me to witness to many of our people that I believe and I know are going through many things similar or even worse than what I went through. So we must, as a people here in South Sudan, and I want to believe in the entire globe where uh, similar things are happening, just to be able to pray that God enters us, that God calls us to himself so that we can understand even the power of forgiveness that is given unto us. He forgave us and therefore ask us to forgive. There is nothing we can do apart from forgiving our adversaries.
1: Archangelo, as the conflict now in Sudan impacts South Sudan, you know your people have been through so much suffering and and challenge over the last few years, and now waves of refugees are coming to you from Sudan. Can you tell us a little bit about that reality for your people?
0: It's a traumatic experience to many. Of our people that have returned and are still returning. In the sense that they went, they left here in 2013, barely one year to many who had sought refuge and uh, barely one, one year when they, from their coming, from their returning. And so they had to again go back to Khartoum and other places where they had sought refuge earlier others who went in 2016 thought probably the country will not be stable again and others may have sold property and went others may have decided never to really want to come back here because here wasn't so safe and true it wasn't so safe even now still it is not so safe everywhere although if you compare to Khartoum now, would say somehow. So these people have come probably from something to nothing. These are people who have left here, have gone, and probably putting their lives together. And their children were going to school. They were able to put some homes for themselves. I know many of them were in the desert, but at least you're calling that place home. Nobody probably was harassing you, and then all of a sudden, again, you are dislodged from there into your country where all that is given to you. As we were told today in the meeting that we had here from one person who works from the ministry that deals with relief here in South Sudan, he just told us the people who found themselves at Juba Airport are brought out of the airport through the arrival terminal and shown the road. That is what the government does. You are shown the road and told that this is your country, now you go home. The refugees, who are Sudanese and other nationalities, will come and then they are put in the UNHR via buses and then they are taken to the camps. So, Uh, This is a very difficult situation, Phil and Jeanette. Very, very difficult situation. What can be done to address? What can be done to help? Certainly, we can think of so many things and the question will be until when shall that be done on them? Trauma healing ranks probably on top. That people are traumatized. They would need to really be helped to cope with the situation, the traumatic situation that they were subjected uh, into. Even matters of dignity, water is the basic necessity of life. And you know, Juba is a city where you don't have running water. Juba is a city where you have water tankers everywhere, taking water and, and selling water in drums in the home states. And water, you must always produce money to buy water. So if you have in your family about five people who have come from Khartoum, you may put them you may allow them in your compound or in your space. They may put some bed sheets or blankets on top of some sticks to cover them from the sunshine. but they may not have water to wash themselves. So our mothers and our sisters are in their deaths. I know I'm a father of four girls. They are adults. I know how much I have to care for them and how much they will need to keep clean. These people have lost dignity because they had to just stay the way they yeah, are for days, sometimes not bathing. Even if they are given food to eat, to cook, where will they get water to cook? because then they need to have money to produce to buy water. I just want to talk about these other things. There are many others, but this is just basic thing. There is a lady who just told us, because they are not able to buy sanitary parts, she had to cut the edges of her blanket to help herself. These are things that even me, as a father of girls, I just feel completely bad about.
2: Mm -hmm. Yes. The process of reconciliation is practical and, and it requires us addressing the needs and the dignity of people. So sharing these very real needs, the realities that people are facing of going from something to nothing and Christ calls us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. So as the church in South Sudan, where are the areas that you are meeting those needs? And how can the global church support and come alongside of you?
0: You know, at the moment, what I would say is this is a high-level conflict. Unless the guns go silent... It will be very difficult because even as the parties themselves engage, even if they have signed and agreed on many truths, those things did not work. And the people that are displaced at the moment themselves do not have any problem with one another. Their common problem is that they are all displaced. Their common problem, they are only they are refugees. Their common problem and interest is How do we keep ourselves safe? Where do we get food from at the moment? So reconciliation at this particular level time is practically uh, difficult at that high level. However, I think uh, it will be good to put the situation in South Sudan on the map so that uh, people can say, even engage from the sides, parallel engagements with the stakeholders who may be at the periphery of the problem. And they can be engaged to begin to have conversations, which conversations will release them from the trauma, number one, but number two, they will have some voice that will come out. And who knows, this might even trickle. Into some of these rooms and and conferences, and where the parties themselves are meeting, and the global church can also really be able to engage elements from both sides, who can be identified and given a neutral forum, and a space a space that they can be able to freely talk and share about the conflict, its genesis, and what they think needs to be done, and whether they can be able to reach out to any of these people. This is one thing that can be done. Number three, we can probably think of the parties, the generals that are there. Are they all in support of what is happening? How many of them, given time, they will want to come out How many given time they would want to talk? How many given the time they would want to advise that they stop? Who are these people? Are we able to identify them? Because if they can be identified, they can be engaged. But we cannot do reconciliation if we don't have anybody to engage. I know we can reconcile people to situations. People can agree and accept the situation that they are in. And because they accept the situation that they are in, that probably will reduce the tension, it will reduce the magnitude of the problem. So I tend to see difficulties, but I also see possibilities because there are people who are in the second and the third lines of the conflicts. Who in this world we live in are able to identify them? You know, Can people like Hamadouk, the former prime minister, be engaged? He's a level-minded person who was able to run the government after the, the uprising in Khartoum. People like those can be engaged because they are the people who can give us the best analysis of the situation, you know, and they can help in how these people can be engaged. Who in the world can we advocate as evangelicals, advocate for them to intervene in this world? The evangelicals in America, I understand you, there are many there. And um, I don't know whether they can be able to use that power base to pray, but also to reach out to powerful individuals in the government of the United States and do silent diplomacy, you know, engage in that with some of these people. This is something that is bigger than us here in South Sudan. We can talk to the president here, (laughs) you know, we can talk. I am now going to meet with the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador. He just called us. I don't know. I'm sure questions like you're asking might come up, you know. So these are some of the things. I don't know.
1: Thank you, Arcangelo. Yeah, and it's this is one of the things of thank you for your courage, uh, not only in your own journey, the courage it's taking to lead and form a people who are reconciling people. That's very encouraging. But thank you also for allowing us to get the story of South Sudan on the map and bringing at least some more awareness uh, to evangelicals uh, around the world that we can be praying and advocating, speaking, and not walking ignorantly uh, with our brothers and sisters in South Sudan. So thank you. Friend, for joining us. May God bless you as you lead. Thank you
0: so much. Let me just share this one thing, Phil. I can't uh, go without sharing this because this is what I just had today from the group we had here. I'm in a holy still. This is a testimony of these leaders who just went and visited the refugees who are from Sudan. It was a visit to pray with them, it was a visit of solidarity with them. And I understand that uh, the, 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 uh, the message they get, they God was, we have never had any visit, not even by the government, but church, thank you so much for coming to see us and to pray with us. And these are Muslims saying this, They have never had any visit from anybody. And I want to believe anybody means includes Muslims who are from the south. But the Christians have gone there to visit. So this is, to me, it is a powerful thing. We today encourage that people go there to visit. Even if you don't have anything, go visit. Those who will be arriving from the airports. let us organize ourselves to just go with um, a big um, banner. To say, welcome home, you know, we are praying for you, we are with you. Those kind of words will help strengthen and heal the pains that people go through. And that is what we want the world, even outside there. Your word is, is of great essence. It's powerful. Thank you.
1: While we're with you, Archangelo, and please pass on the greetings of the global church to those that you're walking with and serving god bless you today thank you for joining us
2: thank you thank you so much god
0: bless you
1: thanks archangelo really appreciate you joining us today and can we pray for you before you move into your next meeting yes heavenly father thank you for for our brother thank you for our brothers and sisters in the churches of south sudan thank you for your grace and mercy and the power of forgiveness. And we pray that this the story that will be told and those who will hear it, we ask, Lord, that you would move them to live in your reconciling way. And Lord, I pray your covering over Archangelo, that you would protect him from the evil one, that you would give him favor, that you would give him the words to say. He's being brought before magistrates and an ambassador in the next hour here we pray that he would know what to say that hmm. your holy spirit would give him the words and that they would penetrate to the place where change and action can happen so lord we we trust you and we pray that the beauty of the gospel would continue to shine uh, through the churches of south sudan in these challenging days and we lament lord the brokenness and the pain and we ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name Amen Amen
0: Thank you so much
1: Well Jeanette uh, what a powerful interaction with Archangelo I'm thinking through a whole lot of things wonder what you're thinking
2: Oh my goodness you know Oftentimes with reconciliation, especially in high conflict zones, it can feel so overwhelming. And we're hearing about the harsh realities that that people that are being displaced are facing. Just the simple fact that they can't get water. Women can't get feminine hygiene products. People are really suffering. And yet he ends on this high note of something so beautiful and yet so simple and it was just showing up. Simply showing up to the refugee camp, people were blown away because nobody had come there. And I think just in my own life and for all of our listeners to just encourage everyone to just show up. Show up wherever you're at in your life, whether it's a very complicated process of conflict or unforgiveness, or whether it's just simply walking down your neighborhood and showing up for your neighbor, just being there and listening and saying you're with someone oftentimes starts the process of reconciliation, brings back the humanness to people, provides that place of dignity, and it can catalyst something that could just be so woundful and so painful and start that process of healing.
1: Yeah. I've. I couldn't say it better. I I think those are the things I'm thinking of too, just the very simple, practical stuff that engages a different direction. At points as he was sharing, I was just feeling this, wow, this is huge. How would you ever move anything? How, How, how? And then he, you know, highlights these stories that are just so practical. Water, like you said, feminine hygiene, showing up and visiting. So it is everyday peacemaking, right? It's just everyday. We can all do it. We can all take some steps. And then there's a few who are called, like Archangelo, to go visit an ambassador as well. So it's, uh, it takes all of us. And um, so thank you to our guest, Archangelo Wani Lemmy of South Sudan, for joining us. And thank you for listening to All Things Reconciled, the podcast of the Peace and Reconciliation Network. I am Phil Wagler.
2: And I'm Jeanette Boom. Please tell your friends about this podcast and other great EFC podcasts. You can follow PRN on Facebook, donate to this work through the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada using the code WEAPRN, or check out our website at reconciledworld.net. Go in peace today.
1: Go make peace every day.